good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me. Okay, so we got to begin. I have struggled. I Let's be honest here. You are probably exhausted from the impeachment talk. I know I am. And I have worked very hard today in terms of show prep to find things other than impeachment. It is, if you're in Washington, D.C., if you pay attention to national news, they are obsessed with it. It is the story. Uh, the president has gotten into a news cycle where it seems he can do nothing to change the narrative. Now, you know, one of the interesting genius things of this administration had been that anything, the president could tweet something and steer the course of the news cycle. What is unique now in the impeachment cycle is anything the president now tweets is framed as impeachment, and the media and Democrats steer it back to impeachment. Um, there will be some who look at that as as intentionally so. Maybe maybe this is how they've grabbed hold of the news cycle, and and this is this is what they'll do. I I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I I do want to say I have been working the phones talking to friends of mine who are members of Congress, people in the White House, uh, and others, and trying to get a sense of what actually is going on behind the scenes. Because I, I if, if one of the downsides of social media is that you, when you get on social media and you see the circle of people you follow and they're all talking about one thing, you presume that everyone in America must be talking about that one thing. I mean, that, that's kind of the way it works, is it not? You you get on social media, and on social media, everybody is talking about, well, right now everybody's talking about the NBA capitulating to China. We'll get into that here shortly. But when everybody's talking about the same thing, then your presumption tends to be, oh, hey, everybody must be talking about this, and everybody must care about it the same way. And yet... They, they don't really, they don't really, what happens is people on social media tend to whip themselves into a frenzy because all of their friends on social media are saying and thinking the exact same thing. And then they realize what they think is not moving the needle and therefore there must be something wrong with everyone else. The reality is how many of you are on Twitter? How many of you regularly engage on political Twitter? I, I bet it's a significant minority of you. In fact, the data shows that only 20% of all Americans have Twitter. And of those, it's only something like uh, 10% of those who are actively on Twitter regularly stir the conversation in anything, whether it's entertainment, sports, media, news, you name it. Twitter is not reflective of American society. And frankly, I think one of the traps that the Democrats fall into is that they are so reflective of Twitter that it steers them wrong. The, the, the craziness we get out of the Democratic Party these days reflected across the nation in large part is derived by so many of their core activists being on Twitter, stirring the pot. Oh, hey, everyone must care about transgender intersectionality. Let's, let's punish the Christians for it. Everybody must hate Chick-fil-A because all my woke progressive transgender friends on Twitter hate Chick-fil-A. Therefore, everybody must hate Chick-fil-A. I mean, this is the sort of stuff you see. 
So when you have the media out there and everybody is focused on impeachment and everybody wants the president impeached and and everybody wants, why, why, Lindsey Graham, why are you saying this? Or, or I can't believe Republicans won't come forward and do this. How dare the Republicans not take the position I want them to take on impeachment right now at this very moment before impeachment has begun? Well... Yeah, I mean, you have a screwed up sense of the universe. I, I, I don't think it is 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 good for anyone's well being to be on social media. Do you know that story in the Bible from from Mark where Jesus cast the demon out of the men who were in the cemetery, and he asked the demon, "What what is your name?" And and now you, you do need to understand, depending on which book of the Bible you read, it, it's either one person or or two. That's not actually a discrepancy. The reason is because um, depending on one is focused on a Jewish audience, one is focused on a Greek audience, and uh, the writing style would then vary. We, we know this from extra biblical sources that you're you're wanting to focus on the demon, not on the men. And so I, I believe it's in, um, in the Jewish sources, you would have had one person, and in the Greek, you would have had two. Uh, there probably were two people. Uh, it's just it, the focus on literary style, trying to focus on the demon, you may Make the men less important. So in one, you only have one man, so you can kind of push him off to the side. Um, but anyway, so the, the demons are there, the, the legion, and a herd of pigs is coming past, and, and legion, the demons, uh, there are so many of them, they beg Jesus, uh, don't just cast him out, let them be in the pigs. And so Jesus cast the demons out into the pigs. They possess the pigs, and the pigs, taken over by demonic forces, charge down a hill into water and drown. Well, demons don't drown. The pigs just died, and the demons thereafter could be released from the pigs. I bring this up because there's actually a key detail. As everybody focuses on, is it one man or is it two? The scripture seems to conflict. There are actually real reasons why. There is something scripture leaves out of this story, though. Legion, the demons, possess the pigs. They hurl down the, the hill into, into the water. The pigs all drown and die. What happens to the demons? Well, the Bible leaves it out because you got to remember that it was in early pre-Industrial Revolution days when they were writing this in the Roman Empire, so it would have confused the people of the time terribly if if the writers of the gospel had said, well, those demons all got Twitter accounts. Nobody would have known what they were talking about, but that's what happened. The demons, the pigs drowned and the demons all got Twitter accounts. And that, that is reflective of what you see in social media. And when people let social media steer them, they're, they're, they're letting the, the, the Lord of the air steal them, steer them. And we see this. I, I can't tell you the number of people I have seen on social media who I respect greatly, who are in the media, just so disappointed in Republicans. So if you'll allow me, I want to talk to those people. That's, that's the setup for where I'm going. I just want to talk to those people because I have worked the phones this weekend. I, I, I was sitting, I felt bad. I was at my kid's soccer game on Saturday and a, and a member of the Senate called me to talk about impeachment. And I'm sitting at my kid try, trying to watch a soccer game, but I got a, got a prominent member of the Senate on the phone with me. I, I can't get off the phone. Uh, I can't hang up. On, and he, he was very apologetic, but, but wanted to talk through this. There is concern behind the scenes with certain senators, some of whom you would not think about. 
So let me just try to parade everybody through this, but I, I am particularly right now focused on the hand ringers out there who I used to respect you, Lindsey Graham, um, those sorts of people. First of all, the thing you need to understand is that what the media has been doing for three years is this bombshell tipping point, turning point. Today's the day routine and nothing's actually happened. All of the major stories out there by the media over three years have not panned out. In fact, some of the stories have been retracted. Some of them have been seriously tweaked. So a lot of Republicans don't want to jump in the line of fire because they know the president's going to come after him and his supporters are going to come after him uh, when there are actually really good odds that some of this stuff is revised, retracted, amended, or otherwise just seen in a different light. On top of that, you know, Democrats haven't even begun impeachment proceedings. I think that's something that everybody is forgetting here. We, there's no impeachment in Washington. Nothing. Nothing has happened. No formal impeachment process has begun. The only thing that's happening is that the same investigative committees that were investigating the president are now investigating the president, and it's very clear what they're doing. They're trying to find impeachable evidence against the president, but they have not yet begun formal proceedings. They're in a fishing expedition, and the reason they're in a fishing expedition is because once they launch formal impeachment proceedings, the rules change. Right now, the Democrats do not have to listen to the Republicans. They do not have to bring in opposing, contradictory witnesses. Once they go into an impeachment process, they have to. So they're putting off going into it. So they haven't begun impeachment. And now we know they've taken two months to roll this out carefully. Adam Schiff coordinated with the whistleblower. It is amazing to me to see the media today screaming uh, that there is no evidence that Adam Schiff coordinated with the whistleblower, that he that he drafted the complaint. No, there is no evidence, but it's plausible, is it not? Last week, Adam Schiff was telling people he never even met the whistleblower. Now we know that's not true. If he lied about that, he could be lying about this. We don't know yet. It's actually pretty plausible. And then there's the latest revelation. The, the president was on a phone call with the Chinese President Xi, and he mentioned both Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, and this is outrageous. Why is the president bringing up his opponents to the president of China? Is he trying to get China to investigate both of them? Except there's a key thing missing. We haven't actually seen the transcript, have we? We don't know what he actually said. We don't know what they were talking about. Yeah, I mean, for all it could be, the president was talking to the president Z saying, oh, if Elizabeth Warren's elected, you'll love her. She's a communist. Or, hey, I've got this opponent running against me who claimed to be an Indian. We, we have no idea what he said to the president of China about Elizabeth Warren. We don't really even know if he did. It's just something that leaked. We haven't seen the transcript. Show us the transcript. You will forgive me for not wanting to trust the media. How many times has the media rushed forward? Hey, look at the Covington High School kids, Covington Catholic kids. The media rushed forward, condemned the kids, and now they're all getting sued because it turns out they got it all wrong. Maybe we should wait. And then there are the voters. Everybody is rushing in, screaming impeach, and it's just ratifying to the voters who support the president that even the Republicans are out to prop up the swamp. If you're going to flip so easily because the media wants you to, 
it's just going to signal to the president's voters that you were never really with him to begin with. You people, many of you, have wanted to get the president since he was the nominee, not even elected. And you always rush. I mean, the, the moment there's a story in the media, you rush out saying, impeach, impeach, or this is this is outrageous, or, or you must condemn, you must condemn. It starts to really do look like a partisan witch hunt. You're, you're just fueling the narrative that's causing people to circle the wagons as long as you're rushing in saying uh, every time. I mean, if, if the president sneezes, members of the media rush and say, this is outrageous. I can't believe he did this on camera. He shouldn't be president. I mean, this is something you need to consider. There are a lot of people looking at the press and, and the pundits thinking, you guys have hated him since he climbed those es that escalator and said he's going to run for president. And you haven't changed. Why should we believe you now? It is crying wolf. Now, behind the scenes, and this goes to this conversation I had with the, the uh, member of the Senate. They actually are paying attention behind the scenes. Mitt Romney may have come out first and loudest. But there are others behind the scenes who share Mitt Romney's concern, and they are not your usual suspects. They actually are the conservative senators who side with the president 90, 95% of the time. But right now there is no impeachment. There's not even an impeachment process. There's just a fishing expedition. And there's no reason for any of these Republicans to go help the Democrats right now. Once it goes forward, if it goes forward, if the facts are there, you'll start seeing some movement. Remember, there are 19 Republicans leaving. There are 19 Republicans leaving the House of Representatives. And many of them don't like the president. Will Hurd in South Texas is one of those who's already starting to grumble about the president. They'll help the Democrats. Those, some of those 19, they'll help the Democrats shape a bipartisan narrative once you get to that point, if you get to that point. This is, this, they're not going to help the Democrats build their own narrative. There's no reason to single them out, though. You, you know, you single them out right now, you're, you're just ensuring that they don't want to help. Now, what about the Senate? What did the senator tell me? Well... He told me right now, there are no votes to convict the president, but, but there's a big caveat to that. I'll tell you what it is when we come back. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. So let me give you a sense of where the Senate is on this. If the vote were held today, the Senate would not vote to convict. Now, as I was told this weekend, it, this needs to marinate. The impeachment investigation needs to be run properly, not run like it is a Democratic partisan effort just to get the president. The China phone call is bothersome to many of them. Uh, we don't know the transcript. And even the senator I talked to said we really don't know uh, what was said about Elizabeth Warren. It may very well have been just the president venting about the, the quality of his candidate. We have no idea. Um, but the conversations are happening. As I was told, they're all based on hypotheticals. What if the president did this? What if the president did that? What if the president did this and that? Um, and we can see how some of the stories are shaping up. 
Uh, by the way, the, the Volcker testimony, you're, you're hearing a lot of Republicans say the Volcker testimony flat out repudiated the idea there was a quid pro quo. Meanwhile, the Democrats are saying it, it actually condemns the president, Rudy Giuliani, makes him look even worse. It's a Rorschach test as to where you stand on impeachment right now. We don't actually know what he said in the answer to questions, just how Republicans and Democrats are spinning it. But the hypotheticals and the worst case scenarios, even among some of the senators, aren't going well right now. If you think what's coming out is going to come out, then you may actually see some votes in the Senate for impeachment. If, if In the worst case scenario, those of you, again, I'm directing this to those who hate the president, have always hated the president, have always wanted him impeached, and are convinced that this is all damning. If what you think is going to come out does come out, you, you, you may not get to two-thirds of the Senate, but you'll certainly get some Republicans. In fact, I would say right now, based on my conversations— you would get a majority of the Senate to vote for impeachment. You need a two-thirds vote, and you're not going to get it. But you will see a majority of the Senate vote if what's there is there, and that may be enough to keep 70,000 people home and cost the president the election. Now, those 70,000, for those of you who don't know, the president won Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by 70,000 votes. Um, if you can get enough senator Republican senators to join the Democrats, that will signal to those people there's a problem. Again, remember, the president cannot win just on his base. Neither can the Democrats win just on their base. you got to persuade some people to either vote for your side or sit it out. And some of them, they may not vote for Democrats, but they'll sit it out. Now, here's the other thing I was told. You might get a few Republicans behind the scenes to help persuade others to vote for impeachment, even if they themselves don't. Now, why about that? Well, because these are Republicans up for re-election this year. Now, I will tell you, though, that the, the daily hand-wringing, the hourly hand-wringing over all this, even complaining, I, I mentioned this, by the way, this weekend. On, on I didn't say it was from a, a senator who told me this. But I mentioned you, you may get some Republican senators encouraging other Republican senators to vote for impeachment if there's a there there. And again, we're a long way off from this. For all the hand-wringing and, and, and complaining out there, we're a long way off from any of this. But there are Republican senators who I think if we got to this point, based on this conversation I had, they, they would encourage others to vote for impeachment, even if they themselves did not, because they're on the ballot. They don't want to risk the wrath of the president's voters this year. Don't complain about that. that that's politics. But here's the thing. For those of you who really want impeachment, and I know you're listening, even if you hate listening, here's the thing. People aren't paying attention. This is our second week of this. This is the second week of this. That's it. We are two weeks in. And the last time anyone paid attention and they popped their head up, you were still doing the same thing. You know, this remind me, I was taking my shower this morning, Deep Thoughts by Eric in the Shower, I guess. Uh, remember, have you ever heard the story of the woman who wanted to make her mother's uh, Christmas ham? And the ham required cutting off the bone, the, the ham bone. And she couldn't figure out why Why am I cutting off this, this delicious portion, portion of the meat? Why are we sacrificing this portion of the meat? But the, re, the recipe was very clear. Remove the top five inches of the ham bone. Despite all the ham on it, you got to cut it off. And so the woman finally called her mother and said, why do I have to, I've done this for a couple of years now. And every year I, I'm cutting off this ham bone and, and that's the best part. Why am I doing it? 
And the mom says, well, because that's the only, that it wouldn't fit in the pot otherwise. I mean, that's kind of where we are with these people who want impeachment. They're, they're doing the same thing every single time, and they're ignorant of the history of it. you you got to let this stuff marinate for a while. But, 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 there's more when we come back, including the Biden angle the media wants to dismiss. Well, today is the day I learned we may need contingency plans around here. <laughs> so, I'm broadcasting from, from my home studio today, and instead of going into the radio studio, and I stepped out to grab a cup of coffee, and there was someone trying to get into my house. I, I almost didn't make it back in time. I literally sat back down in the chair at, at 9.34 and 35 seconds uh, trying to resolve what, what is going on. <laughs> Somebody at their side porch trying to get in the house. <laughs> I'm okay. It wasn't a burglar. Uh, they, had the, they had the wrong white house. It's a friend of somebody from out of town trying to to come in, and they had the they had the completely. I had to redirect them. We we have a a series of streets with the same name. It's just one's a point, and one's a circle, and one's a place. And well, they they were on the point instead of the place. Oh my goodness. Um. Yeah. Whatever, Siri. So yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little discombobulated. All of a sudden, I, I went out to get coffee, and there's somebody with a key trying to get in the door. <laughs> Nice lady, nice lady. She was just apparently someone sick and she wanted to drop stuff off. So anyway. <laughs> uh, so as I was saying, okay, let's get back to the Senate situation and, and impeachment and, and all that. Um, here's the problem for those of you who really want the president impeached. And you just can't understand why Republicans aren't aren't going to her. Here, here's the thing. We are only two weeks in. And every time the president's supporters pop their head up to see what's going on, because they, they don't pay attention to the news. These are hardworking people who are busting their butts every day trying to earn a living. They've got a president who has delivered them a really good economy. And they don't have time for all the political complaining right now. You you guys are who are worried about that. You're fixated on politics to begin with. Most of these people are out there earning a living in a really good economy right now. And every time you scream loud enough that they pop up and they pay attention to this, oh, oh, it's you again. What, what do you want this? To, oh, you, you want to remove the president? Uh, yeah, just like the last time I paid attention. And then there is something here that Democrats need to understand. Optics really do matter. I, I can't emphasize enough that the the senator I spoke to over the weekend was very insistent that Adam Schiff being in charge of this really is useful for the Republicans because Schiff clearly coordinated with the whistleblower and, and he's given us no reason to believe that he didn't do more than what he's already admitted to. So why would we take him seriously? If the Democrats aren't going to go into a fundamental process of um, impeachment, there's no reason for anyone else to do so. 
the other issue here, in fact, you know what, let, let me play this audio from Carl Rove. Carl Rove was on Fox News this weekend, and, and he made this point about Schiff, and this is a point a lot of Republicans behind the scenes are making. Well, look, uh, House Republicans are going to get an advantage because there are 19 Democrats in seats that Trump won by four points or more, 31 in seats that he won, 43 in Republican seats. So they're going to be helped. Republican senators, on the other hand, in places like Arizona and Colorado and Maine, states that are going to be close or leaning away from Trump are going to be problematic. But look, I, we don't know how this is all going to play out. Thank God from the White House, they ought to say every morning for Adam Schiff being in charge of this process. It's, isn't it amazing? The chairman of the Ju House Judiciary Committee, Gerald Nadler, has poof, disappeared, <laughs> and he has been replaced by Adam Schiff, who's about the most partisan guy you could ever imagine, channeling his okay. inner hard and, and I was going to say, they put in Schiff because they thought Nadler was a bad face for the, uh, for the whole thing. Yeah. They have a problem. They have a real problem, uh, the Democrats do. Schiff is actually less respected than Jerry Nadler. And it's going to undermine them. But at the same time, there's something else happening with the Democrats on this. Susan Page, not exactly a conservative. She's, an, she's a columnist, editorialist for USA Today, uh, been around for a while. Listen to Susan Page. Democrats, and we know that American voters care more about their lives than they care about the people in Washington. So if, if Democrats or Republicans are talking mostly about impeaching or protecting President Trump, you're not addressing issues about health care, for instance, that people do care about in their own lives. So I think, I think you hear, you know, uh, Speaker Pelosi had her weekly news conference. Uh, you were there. Yeah. I was there, too. She refused to take questions on impeachment until right. she had generated uh, questions about other topics, including the, the trade pact with Mexico and Canada and her proposal, the, the Democratic proposal to, to control prescription drug prices. She made us sit there, although <laughs> everybody in the room wanted to ask about impeachment. Because right. she knew all the cable networks were taking her press exactly. conference. Right. So that is a sign both that she's determined to focus on some of those. And also, I think it's probably a sign they're a little nervous about what happens if it looks like they're consumed with impeachment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. If they look like, they, but they are consumed with impeachment, and this is starting to penetrate. And the reason it's starting to penetrate is because it's all the media is talking about. When everywhere you look, that's all the media wants to focus on. It drowns out the Democratic message on everything else, and it is going to hurt them politically. Solid. And I think what the president was referring to on that call is the fact that there are 31 House Democrats sitting in congressional districts that the president won in 2016. This vote to impeach the president is presumably going to be unpopular for them, particularly if it's followed swiftly by, you know, uh, the, the being pushed away in the Senate, and not really spoken of again. Where do What do Democrats do for all of calendar year 2020 in the House and Senate if they pass articles of impeachment before Thanksgiving, the Senate disposes of whatever trial they choose to do, and the president remains in office, claims vindication, and moves on into the general election campaign where he will be massively well-funded yeah. against a Democratic opponent that he will view as fatally flawed? Yeah, you know, there's a report out that Mick Mulvaney, that was Michael Steele who used to work for John Boehner. There's a report out that Mick Mulvaney is telling the president, uh, you're going to be able to get through this thing. The president says it'll look bad. I mean, there'll be an asterisk next to his name, but the Democrats were already going to put an asterisk next to his name. Uh, elected by Russia. That was already going to be there. And so what the president is, what the president's team is telling him is, is, is push forward. Let him impeach you. They don't have the votes to convict you. They will have distracted themselves, distracted their message, and we'll be fundraising and we'll win. 
And there are Republicans who agree with this. Here's the problem. And this is my broken record time because I, I, I'm, I've said this several times. And it needs to just keep being said over and over and over and over. And you need to, to, to put this in your brain. This needs to be your talking point when you're talking with your friends. This needs to be the, the nugget that you throw out there. This is different from the, first of all, you can't say how impeachment will shape up politically because there have only been three of them. And one of them, they never even got to passing the articles of impeachment. That was Nixon. The only two presidents to ever be impeached were Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. So you can't say, oh, based on Bill Clinton's impeachment, we can say, no, this is different. Here's the fundamental difference. And and this is why if you're a Republican, you do to some degree need to, um, you, you do need to understand that Republicans have to tread somewhat cautiously in addition to the Democrats. And that's to this. The Clinton impeachment was premised on an independent counsel's report, the Star Report from Ken Starr with Monica Lewinsky. They knew what was coming. They knew the allegations. They knew the witnesses. They knew how to undermine the witnesses. They knew what the witnesses were going to say. They knew all of this. They knew the counter witnesses. They knew the counter narrative. And they were able to use a, a reliant, favorable press to spin it to say this was just about sex with Monica Lewinsky, when the reality is the basis of impeachment was that the president of the United States had lied under oath in the Paula Jones case to obstruct Paula Jones's ability to obtain justice. That was the basis of the impeachment. But the Democrats, with friends in the media, spun it as this is about sex with Monica Lewinsky. That was the precursor event that led to the lying. But the impeachment wasn't actually about that. The articles of impeachment bore no relationship to that reality, but that was the reality they spun. And they had months to do it. They knew it was coming. They knew the star report. They knew the witnesses. They knew the claims. They knew all of that. This president doesn't know everything. None of us do. Nor do the House, nor do the Senate. That is, frankly, one reason why the Democrats want to tread a little cautiously here and why they're doing the fishing expedition now is they want to gather every possible witness and document now and their sense. And I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm confident in saying this. I, I I've been an outside observer long enough to think this is right. They don't know what's going to be said, but they suspect a lot of it's going to be negative. Now, what I mean by that is they don't really know who's going to say what, who did what to whom, who has what, who knows what, but they suspect that it's going to work against the president. And in large part, this is just me speculating here, in large part, this is because they know so many of their witnesses hate the president to begin with. I mean, they know it. They, they fundamentally, intuitively know that these people don't like the president. They know the whistleblower was a, a registered Democrat. They know the whistleblower's lawyer is now working with multiple. By the way, the, the initial reports were that it was one other whistleblower. No, multiple people working with this lawyer. This lawyer worked for Schumer and Clinton, clearly is not a Republican. All of these people working with them, the, the, the Republicans can look at this and say this is a partisan hit job. But we don't know what the people are going to say. 
we don't even know who they are right now. Some of them apparently have firsthand knowledge. We don't know who they are. All we can speculate on is their politics, and the president doesn't know either. So where the Clintons had months to shape a defense because they knew it was coming, they knew who the witnesses were, and they knew what the witnesses were going to say, they knew what the report was going to say, they knew all of this in advance. None of us, Democrats or Republicans, the president or his persecutors, know what's going to be said. None of us know it. We have no idea. And so the president will have to shape a defense in real time. And part of the problem that the Republicans having have right now is that they're having a real hard time shaping a defense. So much of the defense right now seems contradictory. So much of it seems um, irreconcilable. I mean, listen to Jim Jordan from ABC this weekend. Jordan is probably one of the best defenders of the president, and even he had a little bit of a hard time making the case here because so much of it isn't known. He doesn't want to paint himself into a corner. And you think this is so should, should I conclu- big deal? So should I conclude from that that you don't think it would be appropriate for the president to ask China to investigate the Bidens? I think he's just making this. I'm just telling you what the statement is. You asked me about the statement. I'm saying I don't think he's really... I don't think anyone in America really believes, except people maybe in the press and some Democrats. Okay, this is about the the president's statement on the lawn of the White House. I would think that if they were honest about it, they'd start a major investigation into the Bidens. It's a very simple answer. Uh, They should investigate the Bidens, because how does a company that's newly formed and all these companies, if you look at, and by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Bidens because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with uh, with Ukraine. So I would say that President Zelensky, if it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation. In- yep. So he wants China to investigate. I, I my spin on this is that he really wants the media to focus. This isn't a message to China. It's a message to the media, and that's the angle that Jim Jordan is going at in this audio. But keep in mind, we know there's a transcript of a phone call. It has leaked where the president mentioned Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden to China. And Jordan knows that too, but none of us know what was actually said. The media's presumption is that it was bad, 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 but we don't actually know. Congress really believe that the president of the United States thinks China is going to investigate. He's making a statement. Well, he's asking for it, and the president hasn't said he's joking. He said a very direct statement. He wasn't smiling there. He wasn't laughing. It wasn't a joke. You you don't think this president's been the toughest president on China? Imposed tariffs on China? You don't think this president wants wants to make sure China starts abiding by international trade norms, starts dealing with the the, the theft of, of intellectual property? You don't think... I, I mean, okay, you can, you can think that, but I just don't think I, that's no, what the case is. I'm asking if you think it's appropriate for the president to ask China to investigate. I think he's saying what's on the minds of so that's many Americans. I think he's saying what's on the minds of so many Americans. It's, it's, how does the, the, the vice president's son get a billion dollars from a, from a bank, a subsidiary of the Bank of China? How does he get that deal just a couple weeks after he flies on Air Force Two to China? I think he's just pointing out the fact. He says it in the way he it, says it, but I don't think not, it's really like, not oh, China, go investigate the Biden. That's not a fact, and it's not true, and the Chinese have denied it as well. But I'm still, I, I still haven't gotten an answer to the question. Is it appropriate for the president to ask China to investigate Joe Biden? I think he's got you guys all spun up. And obviously it's the case. You've asked answer, me the but, question. You've asked me the question like it. four times. Well, I've answered because it. You I, don't, answered it. I don't think he really meant go investigate. Because I, 
Do you think China's going to investigate him? I don't know if China's going to investigate him. I know the we president know asked not. China to investigate him. We know they're not, George. Come on. Why can't you answer yes or no? Do you think it's appropriate? I, I don't, because I don't think that's what he did. I don't think that's what he did. So, but it was right there on camera. I think, I think Senator Rubio had it exactly right. I think, I think our side says this, this is exactly what, I think most Americans say this is exactly what the president was doing. You would think after, like I said, a few years of, of following this president, you would understand sort of how this guy communicates. I think that's what he's doing. Yes. Listen. Yeah, the president said it on camera. The president says a lot of stuff on camera. More often than not, what the president says on camera is designed to get the media's attention on something. And that's the way I interpreted what the president was doing. It wasn't to get China to investigate Hunter Biden. It was to get the media to pay attention to the Hunter Biden story. But again, this is the first time the president has done something like this, where it's blown up in his face because he's so often able to say and tweet things to steer the media's narrative in his direction and this time, when they when he did it, it came with the full force of impeachment. This is different from other things the president's done. It is 54 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is the Eric Erickson Show. We really are across the state of Georgia, and we will take your phone calls. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. There is one thing we, we haven't discussed here we need to discuss, and that is... The Hunter and Joe Biden stuff. Again, I I think when the president said what he said about China investigating the president or investigating the Bidens, what the president really actually meant was he wanted China not to investigate the president, not to investigate Biden, but he wanted the media to investigate the China connection to Biden. I mean, the reality is Hunter Biden did fly on Air Force Two to China and he got a business deal with John Kerry's son out of China. He did not get a billion dollar loan from the Chinese government. As Jim Jordan said, that's, that's actually not true being pushed by some on the right. It's not actually true, but he did get a business deal with a Chinese government subsidiary. And essentially they were trying to buy influence into the American government. The president, when he says these sorts of things, he always says them because he wants the media to go in his direction. I mean, remember the president uses this power for good or for ill Uh, After the State of the Union address this past year, he had a very sympathetic story of the family who had a child killed by the MS-13 gang. And the media had a real hard time moving beyond that story because the president had all of his I's dotted and his T's crossed. And about... Four days later, I forget what it was, but the president tweeted something stupid. He attacked somebody, and that was the media's opportunity to immediately move on. But the president does this as well for good sometimes. The president oftentimes comes out and he goes after someone or praises someone, and it sends the media off on a different direction where they're forced to focus on what the president wants them to focus on. The president right now would really like everyone to talk about the economy. I mean, the president is is using this message to convince black and Hispanic voters to support him. Uh, here he is at the White House uh, with a group of uh, black voters and business people talking about the economy. We come together at a time of extraordinary opportunity for our nation. 
thanks to our pro-American agenda, the economy is booming, wages are rising, and poverty is plummeting. We have the best economy we've ever had, and believe me, we're just getting started. We have such potential, such potential. Last month, the unemployment rate dropped to the lowest level in over 51 years. Yeah. Dropped to the lowest level in over 51 years. That's a compelling message for the president with black voters. Uh, Black unemployment is the lowest it has ever been. That's a really good message for the president. And the president would like to highlight this. But the president in the past has been able to use his superpowers, even with the media. You know, oftentimes the president would tweet something like this. Lowest black unemployment ever. Why isn't the media giving me credit? And the media would come back. Well, actually, Mr. President, it's only the lowest it's been since we've started keeping records. It could have been lower because, you know, there there was this whole thing of slavery back in the day. And, and why aren't you addressing slavery? And they would try to turn it on its head. They would try to take some negative spin against the president. But they would have to actually acknowledge that, yes, uh, the lowest unemployment in 51 years. They would have to do that. With this, now, the president, it's like his superpower has met its kryptonite. That everything the president does now is viewed in the frame of impeachment, and that doesn't help the president. He's got to figure out a way to get beyond this. Now, when we come back, let's switch into Georgia. There actually is stuff happening in Georgia we got to cover. Nancy Pelosi's been here. Did you know that? Just a quick time out to thank one of my favorite sponsors. And this week's sponsor, it's Quip. They make my electric toothbrush. I kid you not, I have used this toothbrush for several years now. I actually bought it. Um, It's, you know, a lot of times a sponsor to these podcasts, they send you their product and you get to use it. Quip, I'm an actual customer, have been a customer well before they sponsored the podcast. I love it because I've tried the really expensive, you know, you can get a $99 or more expensive um, fancy electric battery power toothbrush and they're terribly made uh, and they're not any better than the Quip. The Quip is only 25 bucks. And it cleans your teeth. Not only that, it pulses every 30 seconds. So you know when to change the position in your mouth. You get a new brush head every three months. So, you know, and the brush heads are reasonably priced. It is a wonderful, wonderful invention. And they deliver the toothbrush head every three months on a schedule. So you keep your teeth clean. You keep your toothbrush looking new. It's great. It's only $25. You'll get your first brush head refill pack for free by going to getquip.com slash Erickson. It's a very simple way to support the show and a very simple way to get a great, great, great toothbrush. Listen, you don't need all sorts of connected apps and and Wi-Fi enabled toothbrushes. You just need a good battery powered, great toothbrush. And that's what you get with Quip. Go to getquip.com slash Erickson. You'll get your first refill for free. Go right now, getquip.com slash Erickson. Get, the word get, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Erickson. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia and around the nation. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. I I, I know my buddy Philip is, is listening. We should do this. Hey Siri, what was the UGA Tennessee score? Tennessee was subjugated by Georgia last Saturday. The final score was 43 to 14. Subjugated! Subjugated! Hey Siri, define subjugated. Subjugate means bring under domination or control, especially by conquest. Oh! 
Wow. Wow. Good use of the adjectives there. Wow. Wow. 43 to 14. That was the, that was the score. <laughs> so as a, the, hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I gotta, I gotta get to the headline. Um, this from the Macon Telegraph, uh, UGA secured lead against Tennessee in just four minutes. The game spans 60 minutes. Georgia effectively beat Tennessee in about four. The Bulldogs scored two touchdowns in the final four minutes, two seconds of the first half against Tennessee on Saturday night. This turned a 14-13 deficit into a 26-14 halftime advantage, giving the Bulldogs a stranglehold. They did not relinquish in a 43-14. Poor Tennessee. They really should have let the Lady Vols play UGA. They, they, they really should have. <laughs> I am a horrible boss. I want you all to know that my managing editor is a, is a Tennessee fan. In fact, he texted me after the Saturday, after the game on Saturday. And he said, he's rooting for the Cardinals. And the reason he's rooting for the Cardinals is because he thinks most UGA fans are Braves fans and he wants them to pay. <laughs> Subjugated subjugated hang on one more time hey siri what was the georgia tennessee score tennessee was soundly defeated oh, by georgia last saturday the final score was 43 to 14 she changes it up it was subjugated now soundly defeated okay i'll let it go i'm getting middle finger emojis <laughs> the phone number if you want to be a part of the program 877-97-ERIC 877-973-7425 in hepsiba georgia that's in Richmond County, y'all, if you didn't know. In Hepsiba, Georgia, uh, a teacher has been put on administrative lead, uh, leave over a comment about the Confederate flag. Uh, Hepsiba, just in case you're wondering, uh, Hepsiba is south of Augusta. It is down, what is that? High, uh, uh. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm sorry. So Philip, my managing editor, the poor Tennessee fan has just texted me that subjugated is not even a word. What would you expect from a Tennessee fan to not even know basic English vocabulary? My goodness. Okay. So Hepzibah is south of Augusta on US 25. Um, and Hepzibah has a high school there where they have a teacher. And apparently the teacher uh, put up a, a comment on her, uh, I would say blackboard, but it's probably a whiteboard these days because it's probably marker or whatnot. Uh, in any event, put up a comment that uh, the Confederate flag symbolizes one's intent to marry your sister. I, I thought that was the Alabama flag that did that, but apparently it's, it's the Confederate flag that symbolizes one's intent to marry yours. Oh, come on, Alabama people. Relax. Relax. I tease because I love uh, an offended student told her mother, the teacher put a photo of the Confederate flag, yes, it is a whiteboard, on the whiteboard with, a with text saying, a sticker you put on the back of your pickup truck to announce you intend to marry your sister. Think of it like white trash, save the date card. Now, I, I don't know anything about this teacher, um, but the moment I read this, I thought, hmm, I wonder if this is a, a Yankee Teach for America volunteer teacher. I had experience with that. I had some very good experience 
with uh, Teach for America teachers in high school, but also some some not so much. Now, this is from WRDW in uh, Augusta. Let me just read you part of this. Hepzibah High School placed the teacher on paid administrative lead after sharing the controversial message with the Confederate flag on Monday. The teacher found uh, the student found it offensive and sent it to me and asked what I thought, uh, said uh, Melissa Fuller, whose daughter complained. Melissa Fuller, Fuller placed it on Facebook. It brought in more than 150 comments from fellow parents and community members. She said a lot of the comments were from people who shared the concern. A lot of it is that it's not morally correct. It's unethical. It's just something you don't want to discuss today in today's world and especially inside the classroom. The the Confederate flag was not the problem. It was the text. It turns out that Melissa Fuller's daughter one time wore a Confederate flag belt buckle. And the daughter took it off after the school asked her to, but she still got in-house suspension. If she can't wear that belt buckle, then why is it appropriate to make an assignment out of it, she said. Uh, She put the picture on Facebook, got feedback from other parents, not to get the teacher in trouble. The teacher was put on paid administrative lead. The Richmond County School System uh, did release a statement on the matter. The Richmond County School System is committed to creating a diverse, equitable, equitable learning environment for all students. The language used in the example was unacceptable and had no place in our classrooms. Okay. Some thoughts. Yes, I actually have thoughts on this. Shame culture. We are increasingly in our society seeing uh, younger people engage in shaming. Instead of debating, instead of having discourse, a conversation about an issue, what we see instead is an effort to shame people. We're seeing this with the president in impeachment. And we'll get back to the president impeachment. There is a Hunter Biden angle uh, we need to get to, among other things, polling out there and stuff. But what you see with the president's impeachment is an effort to shame you. If you support the president, uh, the loudest voices in the media right now you don't actually want to make an argument to you that you're wrong and that there's a serious issue at stake. What they want to do is tell you you're an awful person, that you are a traitor, you are undermining the Constitution, you are part of a cult, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They, they don't actually want to have a civil discussion with you about why they think you're wrong, why they think what the president did was bad, and how if a Democrat did it, you would be outraged. So why aren't you now? They just want to shame you. It is an increasing trend in society to shame people. And we're seeing it in this case with this teacher. The teacher doesn't want to have a conversation with the kids in her class, including uh, young Miss Fuller, who once wore a Confederate battle flag on a belt buckle and got in home sus- in school suspension for doing so or in house suspension. That doesn't want to have a conversation with this. She just wants to shame them. If you wear this, you support inbreeding and incest. Now, there is a level of contemptuousness that comes with this statement about the South and Southern culture. Incest is a bit of a joke in certain segments of the South when it comes to uh, people who are viewed as as super Southern, super Confederate, super redneck. Uh, It it is uh, people from up North view them as uneducated hicks, uh, Bible thumping, gun toting hicks and rubes who marry their own sisters. 
You know it, and I know it. That stereotype exists out there among elite opinion makers who disdain everything in the South except its food and then accuse us of, of having a culturally appropriated the food from others. And this teacher sounds to be part of that effort to shame people, not, not to tell them she doesn't like the Confederate battle flag and here's why. Not to say that, you know, you look on the Confederate battle flag and, and view it. And by the way, just full disclosure here, my wife and I have had this conversation. When my wife was a child growing up in South Georgia, the Confederate battle flag, you you know it. You probably had the bumper sticker on your car, heritage, not hate. She grew up with it. She When, when she was a child, she had glow-in-the-dark Confederate flag boxer shorts that she would sleep in. I kid you not. The stars on the Confederate battle flag, they, they glowed in the dark. And it was just, it was a, she was from the South. This is what she did. And as she got older, we've had these conversations and explained to her, we, we would not fly the Confederate battle flag outside of our home because our neighbors next to us are black. And I would not want them to feel uncomfortable. And to many of you and my wife, it is a symbol of heritage and to many people who are black, who's are descended from slaves, it is a racist symbol. It is what the, the white supremacists took to Dahlonega when they had their white supremacist rally. It is a flag that has been appropriated by racists. In the civil rights era, it was put on flags uh, to, to represent uh, defiance of Washington and defiance of, of the uh, Civil Rights Act. And you can be, you can accept, you can believe fundamentally in your core there's nothing wrong with the flag because it is a symbol that your, your great-grandfather fought for the South. He wasn't a slaveholder. He just loved his country. He viewed the South as his country, and he died fighting for it, and it's a symbol of your heritage. It is not a symbol of hate. No one in your family ever owned slaves. You, you, can, you can see that. And that is fair. Now, I realize me saying that is going to get me in trouble with people. There's really no way. This is how the left operates now. There's no win on this. You've got to be all in on one or all in the other. It's, it's the same thing happening with the impeachment conversation. You've either got to be all for it or all against it. And if you're against it, you're a terrible person. If you're in the middle of let's wait and see, there's no reason to make up our mind. No, no, you can't do that. you got to pick one or the other. And the same with this. You've either got to be all in on the South or you got to be all against it. You can't just say, listen, I know to a lot of you, this is a, a symbol of pride and heritage. But to other people, including my neighbors, who are wonderful people, it is a symbol of something they view as racist. And we should be mindful in a community of the feelings of other people in our society, in our, in our local community, making people feel uncomfortable. And the teacher could have had that conversation. And in fact probably could have gotten this girl who wore the Confederate belt buckle to concede a few points, even if she wasn't willing to walk away from the Confederate belt buckle. And in the process, probably could have allowed this child to convey that is she doesn't mean it as racist. She loves all of her classmates, regardless of the color of their skin. But her family has a, a connection to the South. She views it as, as pride and heritage, not as endorsement of bad policies that were swept away at the end of the Civil War. But you don't do that in shame culture. In shame culture, what you do is you shame anyone who disagrees with you. And you attack their character. And you try to pressure them with the mob, more likely than not. You try to pressure them to denounce their own views. 
lest the mob come for them, lest there be more shame. Well, now the teacher's in trouble. I just, I got to say, whether you agree with the teacher or not, whether you, you view this Confederate flag as a symbol of heritage or a symbol of hate, I think we should both be willing, we should all be willing to acknowledge that putting a picture of the Confederate flag on the whiteboard in a public school and saying, this is what you, what, what are the direct words here? A sticker you put on the back of your pickup truck to announce that you intend to marry your sister. Think of it like a white trash save the date card. This is Hepsibah, Georgia, people. Hepsibah, Georgia is not that far from the South Carolina line. I bet you there are a lot of people in this community who have something with the Confederate flag on it. In fact, I bet there are kids in the school whose parents or grandparents are members of the Sons of the Confederacy. I bet you so. And this teacher is signaling an intolerance to all of them. This is a teacher of a public school who is supposed to be willing to teach everyone and be accessible to it. And how can you trust when you get the bad grade that she's not looking on you thinking, oh, you're one of those inbred Southerners. I'm going to give you a bad grade. You can't do it. Now, this teacher, by the way, you should know on, on left-wing media sites is being heralded as a hero, and the girl and her mother are the tormentors and, and bad. Proof that the teacher was right. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I, I think it would have been better for the mother to go to the school and talk to the teacher about it. But wouldn't that just hurt the child? And, and now, of course, how can they be sure that the kid isn't going to be punished by the teacher when the teacher comes back from administrative leads since, since they've gotten out there and, and they've tied their names to it? We don't know. Maybe, maybe the family is, a, is terrible. I have no idea. But I know if I was the teacher, I wouldn't do this. And, and the fact that the teacher did this seems to me to suggest the teacher has fully embraced shame culture. And no teacher in any school, elementary, secondary, post-secondary, should embrace shame culture, where instead of articulating arguments to persuade, you just try to embarrass and ridicule people who disagree with you. And that's what this teacher did. Whether you agree with her opposition to the flag or not, that's what this teacher did. I hope y'all are enjoying the fall temperatures. Finally, fall temperatures in Georgia. Hallelujah. Man, we need them. This heat, and it worked out well. It got hot on Saturday uh, in Macon. Uh, but man, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It is outside my on my side porch. It is 72 degrees right now. 74 in Macon. My goodness. Uh, 71 in Carrollton. 72 in Atlanta. Uh, 71 up in Adairsville. These are all on my phone. 78 in East. It's just, it's nice. It's, it's wonderful. It's going to get hot. It's going to get into the upper 80s, but it's not just scorching weather like it had been. So on Saturday, it got into the mid-90s. and We were predicted to get up to 89, but it got up into the, the 94, 95 in where we live in Macon. And, but it stayed in the low 80s during soccer. We had – and, you know, so the rule is the parents cannot sit on the same sides, at least at our, our soccer fields. The parents are not allowed to sit on the same side as the coaches' benches. And well, the coaches' benches were nicely positioned in the shade under the tree, so the parents got to sit in the sun. 
I finally got my golf umbrella out of the car and used it to block the sun. Because listen, I have two shades, white and red. I, I do not tan. I either burn or I stay white. I am so white you can put on socks. I, I don't wear white athletic socks. I put them on my legs. You can't find them anymore. I'm so white. And I burn. The, the very thought of the sun makes my skin red. So I had my golf umbrella. I was copiously covered in sunscreen, as was my kid who was out there on the field. And he had a good game. I mentioned this the other day. He had a very bad soccer practice on Wednesday night. Uh, on Wednesday, he he didn't have a great game last Saturday. And, you, you know, as a parent, you're just, your heart is crushed. So, so he was playing goalie and three goals got past him. And then he was clearly worn out and not feeling well on the field. He didn't want to get off the field, but he walked with his hands on his hips. His mom was ready to wring his neck because um, all the other players had been running the whole time. They didn't have any subs, so he had to play the whole time. And he was worn out. He was. Uh, so we, we, we regrouped. We made sure he hadn't eaten enough that morning. We were going to get him a lot of food. Well, then on Wednesday night at practice, he got bullied by some of the kids on his team, told him he sucked. They didn't want him on the team, that he cost him the game and stuff. And your heart just breaks for your kid. When that happens with teammates, it just, it, it does. And I just, I got on my knees on Friday night and God and I had a heart to heart about this. And we got up Saturday morning. We, we made sure he, I, I, I put too much food. He was complaining that he was too full. He was going to throw up on the field, but I, I, he needed his energy. He doesn't need, he's a nibbler. He got out there on the soccer field and uh, he had two great plays. He served as goalie for a little bit, um, wasn't necessarily needed as goalie at the time, mind you, uh, and, but uh, had two great plays on the field, and his team won 8-1. to one. And the, his one play was so good, even some of the kids who had uh, were harassing him on Wednesday night were cheering him on on the field. Made me feel good. But, man, it, it was made better in part by the weather being as nice as it was, and, and cooler weather still is on the way this week here across the state of Georgia. I am so glad. I am so glad. Also, I am, I'm at that stage as a parent where I'm trying not to be resentful about having it, particularly now that I'm doing two radio shows a day. Five hours of radio a day does wear you out. And I'm, I'm trying not to be resentful of, man, I sure would like to sleep in on Saturday. I'm trying to be the good dad who gets up and is encouraging, but I I, I admit to a level of selfishness. <laughs> the phone number here, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, the Supreme Court is convening uh, for the first time this week in Washington after their summer break. We'll get into that. We have more on impeachment that we need to talk about when we come back. The NBA is siding with China over Hong Kong. As new video comes out about the Chinese, an undercover drone video shows the Chinese leading uh, blindfolded Uyghurs off a train into a concentration camp, it appears. We'll get into that. Stacey Abrams explaining why she doesn't want to run for the Senate. But when we come back, the governor and lieutenant governor building a bipartisan coalition in Georgia, politicians and businesses, to combat human trafficking in a way we haven't done in the past. I want to discuss this. This is an issue very near and dear to me. We need to talk about human trafficking in Georgia. It is 35 after the hour. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia broadcasting from Macon via my flagship station, WGAU in Athens, all over the state of Georgia today in wonderful fall weather. So Marlene, who is listening on WGAU in Athens, has emailed me. And she wants to know why my son is playing an un-American sport. The things people get worked up about on radio. Marlene, my son played baseball for a number of years. He got bored. 
He wanted to play soccer where he runs the whole time. Uh, big advantage. He didn't want to play football because he didn't want to get killed. <laughs> My wife always wanted a son who would play football until the last few years. Now she's like, I don't think I want him to play football. Um, so he plays soccer. That That's why, Marlene. We, we, we did the baseball thing. He got bored. Baseball, let's just admit it. I, I, love, I love the Braves. I love the Cubs. But baseball can be a little boring. We, we we need to move on from my kid playing soccer, though. Wow, the things that get people worked up on radio. Um, this is from the Albany Herald. Um, Governor Brian Kemp, First Lady Marty Kemp, uh, U.S. Senator David Perdue, Attorney General Chris Carr, Representative Doug Collins, Speaker Pro Tem Jan Jones. They have partnered with the American Hotel and Lodging Association, the Asian American Hotel Owners Association, and the Georgia Hotel and Lodging Association to raise awareness across the state uh, for a unified approach to combat human trafficking. As part of the uh, part of the effort, they joined the hotel industry for a training session at the Intercontinental Buckhead, which. By the way, if you're ever in Atlanta and want a great bourbon selection, Intercontinental Buckhead has the best. Uh, So what are they doing? Well, if you go to fancy hotels these days, what you'll find in in all the restrooms are signs, and maybe they're in every hotel. Uh, I haven't noticed them per se, although if I'm in like a Hampton Inn, I typically go to my room to use the bathroom. But if you're in a big hotel that, that has multiple floors, sometimes you got to use the lobby lobby restroom, and there's a sign in there uh, that is in multiple languages, many Asian languages in particular, uh, about human trafficking. If you're the victim of human trafficking, here's what you do. We will protect you. This actually is an issue. So let, let me, let me, story time with Eric. I was on city council in Macon for one term, 2007 to 2011. I actually had to give it up six months early because I got a job in radio and the radio station wouldn't let me be an elected official and also be on radio. It was company policy because of some FCC rules. So I had to, had to step aside early. My goodness gracious. The only reason I ran for office was human trafficking. So back in 2007, um, I had left my law job. I was running redstate.com at the time. And I was, was it 2000? Yeah, it was 2007. Um, was driving down the road one night. I was doing some commentary for a local TV station in Macon, a Fox 24. And I needed to be on the 11 o'clock news. So I left my house at 1030 to drive down there. It's not that far away. And as I'm driving down the road, I realized there are a couple of businesses I passed that were all lit up uh, and had people in the parking lots hanging out, visiting with each other. It's like, what on earth is going on? And realized it was all Asian-themed massage parlors. Every last one of them, an Asian-themed massage parlor. And I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm I'm there thinking, wait, 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 wait. Why are there that many men hanging out at an Asian-themed massage parlor after 10 o'clock at night? And honest to goodness, so, so I, I had a, a website at the time called Confessions of a Political Junkie. And I wrote about this. I said, this is a very weird thing. Why are there people hanging out after 10 o'clock at night at a massage parlor? Why is a massage parlor open 24 hours a day? And I was amazed at the responses from people. You idiot. Do you not know what's going on? Well, a lady from Gwinnett County uh, actually sent me a note and uh, said that she had had the very same experience that she noticed in her community that these places were doing business late at night. And 
that she became concerned because she had heard rumors that they were fronts for human trafficking. And she became more concerned when she showed up in the middle of the day and there was a open sign lit up and there didn't seem to be anybody there. And she tried to open the door and the door was locked and she rang the buzzer and someone came to the door and told her women were not allowed. And she thought, well, this is weird. They're open, but they're closed. They're a massage place and more women than men get massages. And yet during the day, women aren't allowed. And at night, there are a bunch of men hanging out. What's going on? And she concluded it was, it was prostitution, but she started digging and she started getting threats against her and her property, property damage, vandalism, things like that. Well, that just emboldened her, her personality. And she became convinced that she had stumbled upon fronts for human trafficking. And sure enough, she had. And she was able to lobby in Gwinnett County to uh, get them to crack down on these sorts of massage parlors. And it, it had moderate success in chasing some of them off. Well, they moved down 75. You know, if you drive down 75, it's, it's not so bad anymore between uh, Atlanta and Macon. But for a long time, uh, you would see billboards advertising Asian themes. And there are still a few that are up, but uh, they're not nearly as pro uh, prolific as they used to be. You'd see every few miles, you would see signs for another Asian themed massage parlor. Soft hands massage was one. Um, there was one called comfort. I kid you not comfort and splash Asian massage. Comfort and Splash Asian Massage in Warner Robins, Georgia. Yeah. Uh, Tokyo Massage. Um, all of these down there. What, what the heck is going on? And my encounter with her made me realize something was going on in Macon and decided to run for office. And the whole issue was on cleaning these places up. The uh, Justice Department, in a report authored by Janet Reno, it was released at the beginning of the Bush administration, but it had been done by the Clinton administration noted uh, that middle Georgia is actually a hotbed of uh, human trafficking. And the reason being is Robbins Air Force Base. In fact, uh, this report noted that if you uh, draw out a, a perimeter of 30 minutes away, a 30-minute drive away from any major military installation in the South, what you will find is a, a massive pool of fly-by-night massage parlors and sure enough whether it's uh down in albany or in columbus or in macon or about 30 minutes from dobbins up in atlanta you you name it uh, outside of savannah about 30 minutes away from these military installations you will find a bunch of asian themed massage parlors and it is essentially um they're for the soldiers and it is women uh, prostituting themselves under the cover of giving massages. Now, there are people, and I know people. I, I, I worked with a guy who was a, a, a Marine turned lawyer who regularly admitted to going to these places and doing exactly what you think he was doing uh, beyond getting a massage. And in his mind, it was uh, two consenting adults. It was perfectly legal. There was nothing wrong with that. The, the problem is that uh, there is more and more evidence that many of the women in these places are uh, prostituted against their will. They are victims of human trafficking. In fact, in this DOJ report, 
one of the things they noted is that these women are told uh, that their families will be harmed if they don't go along with it. They are many times they are uh, forcibly addicted to drugs, kidnapped, forcibly addicted to drugs. Now, how does that work? Well, you you forcibly inject them with uh, heroin and make them addicted to the substance and they can't leave because they won't have their fix. They got to stay for the fix. Um, opioids, uh, meth and opioids change the chemistry of the brain, making it very, very, very difficult to ever break the addiction. And so they stay when coupled with, uh, threats to their families, they stay, they are then smuggled into the United States. Oftentimes what happens is you have the, um, in the Northwest is the business, uh, Asian mafia operations, uh, drug running from Asia coming into Seattle and Portland, San Francisco. And then their prostitution operations are in the Southeast. That They separated um, in one degree from the oceans, uh, Asia to the west coast of the northwest of the United States. And then across the continent from the northwest of the United States to the east of the United States, to the southeast in particular, uh, to military installations, whether it's Paris Island or, or Robbins Air Force Base or Dobbins or uh, Fort Stewart, you name it. They set up Asian-themed massage parlors, and they put the women there, and they rotate them around. You know, just as an aside, there was this interesting aspect in this report that um, there is some suggestion in some places, uh, smaller uh, Asian restaurants are where the higher-end women who have essentially uh, successfully been indoctrinated and, and become the uh, overseers, they go work in the restaurants. Now, that's not to say your local Asian restaurant is a front for human trafficking. Uh, there was just a suggestion of it. In some places, they found that, although it's not typical. It's just, it, it's a very organized operation. And a lot of people turn a blind eye to it. One of the other interesting aspects of this, when I got on city council, this report from the DOJ said that a lot of these operators will find realtors and landlords who are connected politically. Because if you're connected politically, you have a vested interest in making sure the government does not bother these entities. So, what? They, in fact, what they did in Macon is in one of, one of the greatest obstacles to me passing any legislation was a member of our city council who was a landlord who several of these entities rented from him. Well, he's not going to be let anybody accuse him of, of essentially operating a front for slavery human trafficking or even prostitution. Not that he cared about prostitution, but slavery, human trafficking. No, no. How dare you question his character? That, that they, they would seek out people like that to rent from and make it a very difficult to exterminate them. And, and, you know, one of the, the obstacles that kept being brought up when I was on city council was we, this is not legitimate. There is no proof. In fact, the police raided and that they were never able to get anyone to admit to having been trafficked. There were signs of it. For example, uh, if you some of the, oftentimes, in fact, one of the big raids, the women were sleeping on the floor of the location. The women were sleeping. Um, they were they had cots in the back room. They were asleep on the floor there. That's where they did everything. They they shared a bathroom. They they shared a shower. And you have multiple women sleeping in a location. That's a big red flag. No, these these were women. They, according to this member city council, they were just coming, getting settled, hadn't found a place yet. They were just being taken care of. You can't direct police resources against them. That would be a waste. We we got crime, we got murder, we got muggings, we got carjackings. We we don't need to be shutting down businesses that are paying taxes, let alone businesses renting from him. 
So the way we went about it in Macon was, in fact, we worked with, with Karen Handel at the time and then Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp's office actually helped tremendously uh, coming up with the regulations to shut down the human trafficking element. And for example, believe it or not, um, we went out to the legitimate massage businesses in town. Now, how do you know the difference between a legitimate one and an illegitimate one? Well, the legitimate ones are uh, well known by people uh, to be clean establishments that don't advertise billboards up 75 and cater to soldiers uh, at the local Air Force or military installation. Uh, Have a clientele of older people who are coming for uh, experienced massages by certified and licensed therapists. So you go to them and you say, so what sets your business apart from these fly-by-night operations? Well, guess what? Uh, a licensed massage therapist, as opposed to a lady who's come over from Korea. Hmm. Okay. Let's do a regulation and say you got to have at least one licensed massage therapist on the premises. Well, believe it or not, they don't let people sleep at their facilities. It, it, it's it's an office. It's not a home. So, okay, let's add to the regulations. No one can stay overnight in the premises. Uh, let's add a regulation that you've got to be shut down between like midnight and 6 a.m. Let's add a regulation that you can have light bulbs in every room that work. Believe it or not, uh, one of the things in these places is oftentimes they would put people in rooms for massages where there were no light bulbs. So you could not see the person doing that thing. Um, so yeah, all you have to, you don't have to use the police. Then you can use the business inspectors and the business inspectors can go say, uh, your light bulbs don't work in this room. Now we can't make them turn on and off the switch, mind you, but we can at least make sure they have light bulbs. Or the other thing is having a list of clients, every single respectable massage, uh, parlor has a list of clients. And these other places make sure there are no records anywhere. Cash only businesses with no records. Well, make them have records of the clients. And if they're getting money and they have no clients, you can raise questions as to why are you laundering money? So we passed this. It literally took me a four year stint on a city council. Worst job I ever had to pass this. It took four years of cajoling, of building a coalition, of working with Democrats and others to pass this and to use regulation, not law enforcement, to do it. We finally got it passed. Virtually every single one of these places went out of business. Every single one. It was crazy. Uh, you drive down 75, you used to see billboards all the time advertising Asian-themed massage parlors in Macon. Now, there are some that have cropped up. But by and large, you drive down the interstate, now most of those signs are gone. The ones that are there are for old, out-of-business out of places. That just They actually bought the physical billboard. Um, it's crazy how many of them went out of business quick when this happened. Now, the governor, this is a very long story to get to this point. (laughs) The governor, the first lady, Senator Perdue, Attorney General Chris Carr, uh, Doug Collins, Jan Jones, and the hotel industry in Georgia are now working together, taking human trafficking in Georgia seriously. And this all does go back to the massage parlor issue. Oftentimes what has happened in the past is that these businesses would operate fixed locations where you could go. What is happening because of the crackdowns in places like Gwinnett County and Macon and Fulton County and elsewhere is they're now having to essentially run prostitution services 
in hotels with victims of human trafficking. We have the situation in Atlanta where multiple victims of human trafficking uh, uh, escaped and are now suing local hotels for turning a blind eye. And the allegations are pretty damning against these places. I mean, some of these places, when in one case, the woman went to the front clerk at the hotel and said, I am being trafficked, please help me escape. And they called the human trafficker because it turns out they were taking money under the table. That's actually, that is alleged to have happened in Atlanta. It is happening across the state of Georgia. Oftentimes now, you're having men go an hour outside of Atlanta to a, a, a an inn, a, a, an, a, a minor hotel chain, and that's happening there. And oftentimes, it is the human traffickers are paying the front desk clerks to turn a blind eye to what's going on. It happens. And it is good to see them cracking down in Georgia. It is good to see them taking this seriously. Here's the thing that people don't understand. I, I use the Asian theme massage parlor example and the woman coming from Asia. And in the past, that has been true. But the data right now shows it is more likely to be a kidnapped American girl. All those stories about American girls who have gone disappeared, you, you see the signs of missing Many times they're not dead. They're now being prostituted by a human trafficker. In fact, there was a story from a couple of years ago in Las Vegas, a human trafficking raid found two girls who had been kidnapped from Missouri and were now being prostitutes for high-class prostitutes in Las Vegas. Horrific. Horrific. That's why this needs to be cracked down on. It is American teens being captured and prostituted around the country, human trafficking victims, and it's good to see Georgia finally, finally taking this seriously. There is some breaking news happening right now. We'll get to this in just a few minutes. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals uh, that covers New England has granted Donald Trump an emergency stay after the president lost a court ruling over his tax returns. A federal district judge in Manhattan has ruled the Manhattan DA could subpoena eight years of the president's personal and corporate tax records for an investigation. The Second Circuit uh, issuing an emergency stay, and we'll have an argument. We will get into that here shortly. Real quick, though, I, so I, I, I did did a, a pilot for a show with CRTV, didn't, uh, wasn't successful, uh, didn't get picked up. We did do some interviews, though. One of the interviews we did was with the head of the nonprofit She Is Safe, which goes around the world um, fighting human trafficking. And one of the just uh, stories that will send a chill down your leg is two girls in Denver, Colorado. They won a, a trip to New York City to model. And they did not tell their parents. They sneaked off to the airport to hop the Delta flight. They had the tickets. Uh, it was from Denver to New York uh, by way of Atlanta. And they didn't tell their parents. Thankfully, the lady at the check-in desk at Delta had been trained on human trafficking. And the two girls show up. They're, they're both 17 or 18 they're in high school, not college. Won the modeling competition, very eager to go. It's just a weekend trip. And the woman says, did you know this is only a one-way ticket? Well, the girls had no idea. They'd never flown by themselves before. They had a one-way ticket to New York City. They thought it was a round trip for a weekend. And the woman asked them where their parents were. And they got a little bit shifty. 
and finally told the woman, well, that they had won a modeling competition in New York City, and they were just going to go away for the weekend. The one thought that she was at the other's house. Their parents thought she was at one girl's house. The other girl thought her her parents thought she was at the other girl's house. So both parents thought they were at the other girl's house. They were actually headed off to New York City together, running away for the modeling competition. That was a one-way trip. The Delta... Uh, check-in agent, thankfully, called the FBI, told them what was going on. They had a cell phone number connected. They called the cell phone number. A man answered. Um, and within an hour, the phone had been disconnected, and the hotel room where they were at had been vacated in New York City. Those were almost victims of human trafficking. Thankfully, the Delta agent saved those girls. Just a quick time out to thank one of my favorite sponsors. And this week's sponsor, it's Quip. They make my electric toothbrush. I kid you not, I have used this toothbrush for several years now. I actually bought it. Um, it's, you know, a lot of times a sponsor to these podcasts, they send you their product and you get to use it. Quip, I'm an actual customer, have been a customer well before they sponsored the podcast. I love it because I've tried the really expensive, you know, you can get a $99 or more expensive um, fancy electric battery powered toothbrush and they're terribly made uh, and they're not any better than the Quip. The Quip is only 25 bucks and it cleans your teeth. Not only that, it pulses every 30 seconds so you know when to change the position in your mouth. You get a new brush head every three months so you know, and the brush heads are reasonably priced. It is a wonderful, wonderful invention, and they deliver the toothbrush head every three months on a schedule, so you keep your teeth clean. You keep your toothbrush looking new. It's great. It's only $25. You'll get your first brush head refill pack for free by going to getquip.com slash Erickson. It's a very simple way to support the show and a very simple way to get a great, great, great toothbrush. Listen, you don't need all sorts of connected apps and, and Wi-Fi-enabled toothbrushes. You just need a good battery-powered, great toothbrush, and that's what you get with Quip. Go to getquip.com slash Erickson. You'll get your first refill for free. Go right now, getquip.com slash Erickson. Get, the word get, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let us uh, get back into impeachment now. Uh, temporarily, there, there's lots of other stuff you do need to know. This is happening now here. It, it is, uh, I'm doing the show live. For those of you on delay, it is 11.06 a.m. Just so you have a, a benchmark for when I'm talking about this. Rick Perry, the Secretary of Energy, outgoing Secretary of Energy, he's signaling he's done in November, uh, says he absolutely asked uh, the president to talk to the Ukrainians. Um, this uh, CNN uh, dateline, Vilnius, Lithuania, U.S. Energy Secretary Rick Perry says Monday he absolutely asked President Donald Trump multiple times to call, call Ukrainian President uh, Vladimir Zelensky about energy, not the Bidens, and said he is not leaving and said he is not leaving his role in the administration. Speaking at a press conference, Perry said he told Trump it was in the best interest of the two nations to have discussions regarding energy issues. His response comes on the heel of reports that Trump told lawmakers Perry urged him to make the July 25th call that has become a key focus of the House Democrats' impeachment inquiry. Absolutely, I asked the president multiple times, Mr. President, we think it is in the U.S. and Ukraine's interest that you and the president of Ukraine have conversations to discuss the options here. CNN previously reported text messages released between the U.S. envoy Volcker showed Trump's personal attorney Giuliani was working to set up the call. 
The Energy Department confirmed that Rick Perry was a, uh, supported and encouraged the president to speak. However, uh, the Energy Department emphasizes that Joe Biden's name did not come up. And in fact, uh, Rick Perry told the Christian Broadcasting Network Joe Biden's name did not come up in any conversation he had with the president. There we go. Um, that is the latest. Uh, also, the Second Court of Appeals, as I have mentioned, uh, handles New York City has issued an emergency injunction uh, preventing the or emergency stay, rather, preventing a federal court order from going into effect that would order Donald Trump to hand over his tax records to uh, New York District Attorney. A lot is happening. Uh, I want to give you the play-by-play. Before I do anything else, I want to tell you this hour of the show is sponsored by First Liberty of Georgia, First Liberty Building Alone in Georgia. If you're a small or medium-sized business and you want to be a big business, you got to have capital. you got to probably get out a loan from the bank. And if you want to do that without having to deal with bank bureaucracy, go to First Liberty Building and Loan here in Georgia. They can take care of you. My friends, the Frost family, they're good Christians, active in politics and business. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That is the website, firstlibertyga.com. And they can take care of you. Tell them I sent you to support the show. Now, we got a second whistleblower who is coming out. I want to get into that. But before I do any of that, let's talk about Volcker for a minute. Here's Lee Zeldin, congressman, on the Volcker testimony. Well, first, I didn't know Ambassador Volcker before uh, yesterday. Uh, I was I knew who he was, but I, I had not met him before. He came across as candid, a genuine. Um, he was very well-versed on uh, Ukraine and, and years and really decades of background here. He knew all of the players, the pronunciations uh, of their names, even the spelling. So I, I thought he was a great witness. He answered all questions from the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, and during that, I mean, he basically put a dagger straight to the heart of, of Schiff's fairy tale impeachment story here. Uh, with, with regards to the quid pro quo, as you just played from that, uh, that piece from, from Mark Meadows, he heard what, what I did as well, uh, and, and basically just destroyed, blew up that How narrative so? with every answer he gave. With every answer he gave, destroyed the narrative. In fact, the Republicans have taken this line that uh, the Volcker testimony w- was exculpatory to the president, that the Volcker testimony uh, helped the president, made the case to the president, uh, and it allowed the president to essentially escape impeachment because of what he said. But that's not necessarily the case. And the reason is uh, Volcker is becoming a Rorschach test on the president and on the testimony. Now, what I mean by that is because Democrats who heard the testimony have come out and said that it is further proof, in fact, that um, the president did do something wrong. So you got Republicans coming out saying, I heard the Volcker testimony. The Volcker testimony is damaging uh, to the president. And you got Republicans coming out saying, I heard the testimony. The testimony is exculpatory for the president. We don't actually know what Volcker said, but it certainly is kind of lining up. If you think the president should get off, that's what you heard from the Volcker testimony. And if you don't, think the president should get off. Well, that's what you heard from the Volcker testimony. Well, there is a problem as this continues to play out. We do have the situation of another whistleblower here from CNN. Uh, Now, basically left behind, let's begin with CNN congressional reporter Lauren Fox. She's on Capitol Hill. Uh, Tell us what we know about this second whistleblower and what's described as direct knowledge of these efforts by this administration to connect aid uh, and, and political favors from Ukraine. 
That's right, Jim. A very significant development over the weekend with this second whistleblower. We know that this person is a member of the intelligence community. We know that they spoke with the inspector general of the intelligence community, but we don't know a ton more information specifically about, obviously, who this person is. They're, that is being protected. And I will tell you, Jim, that Democrats are arguing that this adds more credence to the first whistleblower's complaint because this second whistleblower has direct knowledge of some of the events that were detailed in that first whistleblower's complaint. Democrats arguing that's significant. Republicans dismissing this second whistleblower, basically saying, of course, more people are coming forward when there's already one. Perhaps more would come out of the woodwork. Uh, Lindsey Graham was arguing that point over the weekend, Jim. Okay, here's what I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet that this is a, another Democrat. I'm just willing to bet. Now, you can say that what difference does that make? Well, the difference is the Democrats, as long as you're, they're bringing forward Democrat partisan whistleblowers, just allow the Republicans to make the case that uh, there's no there's nothing here. This is just partisanship. The Democrats can say it adds to impeachment. The Democrats can say all sorts of things. Um, but it doesn't really work that way when it's just a partisan Democrat. Now, the other thing is, as I mentioned in the first hour, the Democrats are not actually pursuing impeachment right now. They're pursuing a fishing expedition. They're they're demanding a lot of testimony. They're demanding a lot of documents. They're demanding a lot of witnesses, but they're not actually doing an impeachment process. And the Democrats are beginning to get asked about this. Uh, Chris Wallace over the weekend asked Val Demings, Val Demings is a Democratic member of Congress who has been pushing very hard for impeachment, but in fact, the Democrats have to acknowledge that's not what's happening here. Richard Nixon, why is House Speaker Pelosi refusing to hold a formal impeachment inquiry vote? Well, Chris, let me say this. I would hope, you know, this has been a painful time this past couple of weeks now. I would hope that the White House would cooperate with Congress and actually acknowledge the oversight that we have a responsibility to do. Um, however, there is no requirement under the Constitution that we have a full House vote. There is no requirement under House rules that we have a full House vote. And there is no precedence that we have a full House vote that, vote that really drives well, well, wait, uh, what wait, we wait, do. Wait, 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 wait. Congresswoman, you say there's no precedent. There have only been two times in, in the history of the, under the rules we now have. Andrew Johnson back in the 1860s was different in both the Bill Clinton case and the Richard Nixon case. It's, there was a clear precedent. The full House voted and authorized a, a full impeachment inquiry. So there's a precedent. There there is <laughs> yeah, it might help to know the rules. And by the way, the, the rules in the House of Representatives, despite what she says, actually make that very clear. Um, there is an impeachment process, and there's also court precedent on this as well. Uh, the, the Supreme Court cannot really get involved in impeachment, but the Supreme Court, going back to the Nixon administration, did make it very clear, though, that when this begins, uh, the House of Representatives does have to extend due process rights. Why do they have to extend due process rights? Because it is a due process hearing to form articles of impeachment. So they do have to let the other side have the right to confront the accuser and have the right to present exculpatory 
exculpatory evidence. They don't have to do that right now, and that's what she wanted to dodge. As long as the Democrats are being honest about this, they're going to have problems. The other thing they're not being honest about is the Biden situation. And as long as they're not willing to confront the Biden situation, this plays perfectly into the hands of the president. Here's Cory Booker, former presidential candidate. Well, not technically, but yeah, he's a former presidential candidate. And it's my job to ask questions, so I'm going to ask you another one that you may not want to answer. But are questions about Hunter (laughs) Biden fair? Are questions about Hunter Biden fair in the context of a president who is accused of doing really what I would think were unimaginable things. As I said, shocking me. Is it questions about Hunter Biden in this context? Somebody who has been investigated, somebody who from the Ukrainians to Americans to Europeans, there's no evidence whatsoever. So no, it is not fair that the president of the United States is trying to get all of us to be talking about someone else other than him. What he has engaged in is despicable behavior that was warned about by our founding fathers, by letting foreign governments try to intervene in our elections, and he is doing just that. So if you want to talk about ethics laws, heck, I've been changing and ethics laws since I was mayor, trying to put more strict ones in place, and Lord knows Washington needs them. Uh, The children of this president are engaging in behavior, I think, that's unacceptable. Uh, Yeah, so let's, let's turn the tables on the Trump children, as opposed to acknowledging that we got a real problem here. Terry Moran as well on ABC News, one of their political analysts. Joe Biden at the very least has a conflict, had an appearance of a conflict of interest in Ukraine. Maybe he shouldn't have been that administration's point person when his son was buck-raking off of his name in one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And and that is going to be raised by Democrats at some point, uh, certainly by Republicans. It, it, is, it is a definitional appearance of conflict of interest. Cat meat kettle. I mean, the Trump family is probably more entrenched with foreign governments and their business dealings. I mean, when you compare the two, it's like you cannot even. But we are in, to- we're in a populist moment when the notion that because daddy is your vice is vice president of the United States, you get to make a lot of money. That's but if he's president, you can get trademarks in right. China and business development. Exactly. What about him has become the last and, refuge and, and of America? So that's what's so funny a, about this is that, you know, the, the hypocrisy of it. So, not, so not, only, not only is it something we're going to hear from the president and Republicans, but as Terry said, mark my word, this will be used as we get down in the primary process by either the Democratic opponents against Joe Biden or super PACs that want to raise the issue. Yeah, this is a real issue for Joe Biden, and the fact that Democrats don't want to acknowledge it uh, risks them making Biden the nominee and giving the president an opportunity to counter the narrative. About the only person in American politics who thinks this helps Joe Biden is probably the biggest idiot in American politics, also on ABC News, Matthew Dow. I think that, especially in the short term in this process, it's a a huge benefit to Joe Biden because he's able to pivot one-on-one against the president of the United States. He can go back to how he introduced his campaign, which is basically a fight for the soul of America. America, basically asking the question, who are we? And he ought to go front and center, no holds barred, basically say, I'll take on the president directly on this because the majority of the Democrats they aren't necessarily concerned about who is, who is in, in agreement on them on policy. They want somebody that can take on the president of the United States. And what better way than someone that the president of the United States has mentioned over and over and over again? Yeah, whatever. Um, this is this is going to hurt Biden in the Biden campaign. You should know that they, they don't know how to respond to it. The Biden campaign genuinely has no answer for this stuff. They think they're leaking to the press. They think they think that they're handling it appropriately, but they're not. They are allowing the president 
to set the terms of debate here. Joe Biden going out, by the way, and, and saying he's going to protect his boy and, and whatnot, uh, and having members of the media give um, give credence to, oh, he's going after Joe Biden's last living son. This is so sad. I, I got to tell you, it looks like the swamp protecting its own. It really does. It looks like the swamp protecting its own, and I don't think that's going to get very far. I think the American people recognize the fact that there is a deeply corrupting issue here, and it works against Joe Biden. They're going to have to pay attention to it. They they, they actually are going to have to pay attention, even though they don't want to. Now, the phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We're going to step out for a break. When we come back, there is a big developing story with the National Basketball Association. It has unified America this morning, the NBA has, uh, by sucking up to the Chinese. Daryl Morey is the general manager manager of the Houston Rockets, uh, he tweeted out over the weekend that he stood with Hong Kong, the Hong Kong protesters, and the NBA is now having to kowtow to China over this. Uh, Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morley tried to defuse rapidly growing fallout over his deleted tweet that showed support for Hong Kong anti-government protesters, saying he didn't amend, uh, intend to offend The Chinese fans or supporters, a short time after he posted the statement, the NBA said it was regrettable that the deleted tweet offended many in China that followed several companies in China, including some of the NBA's major business partners, lashing out. The uproar started when Maury tweeted an image that read, Fight for Freedom, Stand with Hong Kong. It referred to the four-month-old protest movement that has upturned the semi-autonomous Chinese province. This led the Houston Rockets owner, Tillman Fertitta, uh, turning to Twitter to say that Maury didn't speak for the Rockets. It sparked an outcry, uh, people demanding his head. Wow. Uh, The Chinese Basketball Association is going to suspend its, um, its dealings with the Rockets. Uh, Tencent is a major media partner of the NBA in China. Uh, It has criticized the deal. They have a streaming deal with the NBA for $1.5 billion over the next five years. So now the NBA is having to contend with Americans. Today may be the most uniting day on Twitter. Uh, The left and the right in the United States blasting uh, the president's decision to allow the Turks into Syria. We'll get to that. Uh, and also uh, Republicans and Democrats, the left and the right, blasting the NBA, falling over, bending over backwards to placate the Chinese. Let's be very clear about what's happening in China right now. The Chinese government is about to invade Hong Kong. The situation has gotten increasingly violent. Uh, There is a treaty obligation from China to Great Britain to allow the island to maintain autonomy for another decade. And the Chinese are encroaching on that, causing protests. At the same time, in Western China, you, you know how quickly the media and, and the left dropped the whole uh, Donald Trump is running concentration camps things here. In, in China, there actually are concentration camps. Uh, new video footage has come out of the Chinese rounding up Uyghurs. Uh, that is a Muslim minority group in eastern China. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in far western China and Chinese provinces that are near Kazakhstan, they are Muslims and the Chinese are rounding them up and sending them into concentration camps. Uh, new reports out show the Chinese have been uh, committing genocide and forcibly aborting uh, children and sterilizing women in this minority group to force the men to intermarry into ch- communist Chinese populations in eastern China. 
we would never allow another country to do this, but everybody's so scared of offending China because so much Western money is dependent on the Chinese. Apple allowed its, its app store to delete an app the Hong Kong protesters were using. Now, people I know close to Apple tell me this was actually stupidity on their part. It wasn't willful on their part. But the fact is, the the company does so much business in China, of course it's going to take China's side. The NBA has a $1.5 billion broadcast deal in China and brings in a bunch of money from China. The Chinese love American basketball, and they're having to bend over backwards to placate the Chinese because of money. We are going to see more of this. This is the beginning. This is not the end. American companies have time and time again shown that they put wokeness over everything except financial benefit and, in fact, try to monetize wokeness. That's why Nike is making money off of Colin Kaepernick. Nobody wants to see Colin Kaepernick on a football field. And yet, uh, Nike recognizes uh, wokeness. Now, here's an interesting thing. Clay Travis tweeting right now, uh, it, get worse, it gets worse for the NBA. Per the Financial Times, they provided statements that were translated differently in Chinese and English. Talk about duplicitous. Uh, from the Financial Times, the English statement says, uh, it is regrettable that Chinese fans have been offended, but added the values of the league support individuals educating themselves and sharing views on matters important to them. The Chinese statement condemned uh, Daryl Morley's tweet more strongly, saying the NBA was, quote, extremely disappointed by the inappropriate comment and that he had very undoubtedly seriously hurt the feelings of Chinese basketball fans. Wow. Uh, the reference to inappropriate and hurt feelings are considered significant as they were seen to echo language often used by Chinese officials to describe cultural gaffes by foreign groups. So the Chinese uh, telling the English, English audiences one thing and Chinese audiences something else. Uh, we should make the NBA face repercussions for this for siding with communist totalitarians. Oh, the... um. <laughs> So, you know, South Park got yanked from TVs in China after uh, insulting the Chinese. They did an entire thing, an entire South Park episode on how American corporations uh, are so invested in sucking up to China that they won't actually um, stand up to authoritarians. So, um, um uh, China yanked them. Well, South Park is now circulating qu clips on social media of their episode on China. <laughs> Tagging the NBA, no less. Ouch. Uh, the, the fallout continues. Well, there is also fallout on the Kurdish situation, and you need to understand what the Kurdish situation... What is the situation? Okay. Just so you understand, the, the Kurds are an ethnic group that live in northern Iraq, Syria, and southern Turkey. They are an extremely persecuted group. Uh, the, the, the Turks have long considered them a separatist terroristic group. The reason is because uh, the Kurds really want autonomy. They are an ethnic group that should have autonomy, 
But after World War One and the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the British took over that area of northern Iraq and Syria and um, and southern Turkey. And then in World War Two, as countries were obtaining independence, uh, the Kurds were left out in the cold. The the Turks had the authority and and were able to pressure to get uh, that area of um, of Kurdistan put inside and confirmed to be inside Turkey. And the Kurds have ever since been agitating for their own independent country. Well, the Turks have been exterminating them, literally exterminating them. Well, the Kurds moved into, uh, really have taken up strongholds in northern Syria and Iraq, right there on the Iraq-Syria border. Uh, North of Mosul, if you're familiar with Mosul and Erbil, in Iraq, north of there, Duhak is a Kurdish stronghold. Uh, Kamisili in Syria, right on the Syrian-Turkish border, is a an area where the Kurds have um, put up a stronghold. Well, the Turks have been spinning that the Kurds have switched alliances and are no longer helping the United States. And that's not true, according to Western intelligence sources. Uh, According to the American military, the Kurds have been our strongest ally fighting ISIS in northern Syria. The Kurds in northern Syria have been fighting ISIS and dying. The Kurds have also been fighting the Ba'athist regime in Syria, um, uh, what Arafat. Uh, They've been fighting for us against both of those. Well, the Turks have had enough, and the Turks have decided that they're going to go into northern Syria and start killing the Kurds. Now, the reason they want to do this, just so you understand the reason why, the reason why is the same reason the Russians have been helping the Syrians. What has happened with ISIS, and this doesn't get enough Western play, but there's some legitimacy to this. Uh, Yes, the Russians want an ally in Syria. The Syrians are the modern remnant of the Nazi party. You do need to understand this, and this is not herperbole. herperbole. The the Syrian Ba'athist regime, and the same with Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein and Yasser Arafat, the former president of, um, not Basra, did I just say Arafat? My goodness gracious, I'm sorry, Assad. Assad, Basar al-Assad and his dad, uh, Hafez al-Assad. Hafez al-Assad and and Saddam Hussein were Ba'athists. The Ba'athist party was the Arab Nazi party. They were allied to the Nazi regime, and after World War II, they fled back to uh, the Middle East to begin agitating for independence from Britain. The Ba'athist parties took over Syria and Iraq as Nazi party successors. I am not making that up. Get a history book. You can see it yourself. Bashar al-Assad is the last of the Nazis. He is in charge of the Ba'athist party. And the Nazis and the commies were always kissing cousins, and they've always had strong ties, the Syrians have, to the Soviets and now the Russians. The reason the Russians like them is because the Russians want to uh, have seaport access in the Mediterranean in warm water. They don't want to have to go through um, the, the Bosporus because Turkey had been an American ally for the longest time. It is part of NATO, even if that relationship is collapsing. And it made it difficult for the Russians to get through Turkey. While we've been distracted everywhere, the Turks have gone more Islamic. They used to be a very Western area. 
happened. The Russians have been making inroads into alliances with Turkey and with Syria to give them more port access in the Mediterranean. Well, the other reason the Russians have been going to Syria is because the Russians have a problem with the Chechens. The Chechens are an Islamic group in southern Russia. And Chechnya is a Russian province. It is a disputed Russian province. And a lot of Islamic terrorists have come from Grozny, the capital of Chechnya. And many of those Islamic nationalist terrorist groups have gone down, walked, literally walked down to Syria to wage war against the Syrians. And in so doing, they've been getting training from the Syrians in guerrilla warfare tactics to combat the Russians. So Vladimir Putin, allied with uh, the, the Ba'athist regime, um, Basar al-Ashad in, in Syria, not just because there are historic Russian-Syrian ties, but also he decided they needed to go exterminate these terrorists in Syria before they got enough training to go back up to Russia and cause trouble. And he thought he could convince the Obama regime at the time to let him do that. The problem is that the Obama uh, administration recognized this really wasn't a great setup because it allowed the Russians a stronghold in Syria we did not want them to have and was also a threat to Jordan, uh, the stability in Iraq, and uh, Israel, because the Russians are also allied with who? Iran. Problematic. Problematic. Well, we've had alliances with Turkey for a while, and the Turks have stayed out of northern Syria, and the Turks have not killed the Kurds in northern Syria, because the Americans insisted they stay out of northern Syria for a couple of reasons. One, they did not want to inflame tensions with Syria, and two, we wanted to protect the Kurds because the Kurds were our allies in Iraq, and our Kur the Kurds are our allies in Syria. Well, now President Trump, in his quest to remove and extricate himself from Syria— uh, is using the opportunity of the Turks demanding to go in and kill the Kurds as an opportunity to further withdraw from Syria. If you're an isolationist, that sounds fantastic. In fact, Rand Paul is out today, say he's the only member of the Senate, uh, to come out today and say, this is fantastic, let's do this. If you're aligned with Rand Paul on foreign policy, you might want to rethink things, frankly. Um, Rand Paul on foreign policy it, it doesn't really have concrete... Um, a, a concrete worldview other than he doesn't want the United States to be anywhere. The problem with that is that the entire Western world's stability has depended on the United States being around the world. I am sympathetic to the concerns of isolationists, and I am very sympathetic to people's ideas that we should not be out there build, uh, being nation builders. The reality, though, is we have less than a 1,000 troops in Syria, and those 1,000 troops are killing ISIS so ISIS doesn't come kill us and also protecting the lives of the Kurds. If we pull out, it becomes more destabilizing. If we pull out, when it is very clear the current Turkish government is shaping up to be far more sympathetic to the Russians than us, it undermines the Western order. That's not hyperbole, it's reality. You may think the Western order needs to be shaken up. You may have bought the hype about NATO. The reality, however, is that the Russians have been out to undermine NATO, and this helps Vladimir Putin. This helps the Syrian Nazi party, the Ba'athists. This helps the Islamic fundamentalist party 
in Turkey. This doesn't serve any American interests. And betraying the Kurds, who have been the only group in northern Iraq and Syria to stand with us the entire time, is really bad form for the United States to do. This country, if we cannot keep our promises, will not be trusted. You know a country that keeps its promises? China. China keeps its promises. China never promises freedom. China promises money, and China promises protection so long as China can have its Chinese interests served. And that's going to happen here. Now, there are domestic policy points that need to be considered here. Marco Rubio, uh, Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham, by the way, is out very forcefully against the president today. Lindsey Graham called into Fox News this morning to denounce the president's decision. He did so knowing that there were really good odds that the president was watching Fox News this morning when he called in. And Lindsey Graham thinks it is a terrible idea and that the president needs to reconsider it. Marco Rubio as well is signaling that. Ron Johnson from Wisconsin as well is signaling that. Uh, Mitch McConnell as well is signaling that. Susan Collins as well is signaling that. Here comes the problem for the president. The Democrats, as it stands, do not have a majority of the votes in the Senate to advance to an impeachment trial. In fact, were the Democrats in the House to rush it and send over a resolution— they probably would get a two-thirds vote to acquit the president. But because of this, because the president is betraying the Kurds, and American foreign policy in the last decade, at the end of the Bush administration, all through the Obama administration, and now into the Trump administration, so more than a decade, has been to align us with the Kurds. Because of that we may see a couple of Republicans side with the Democrats and advance an impeachment trial, not necessarily to convict the president, mind you, but to give them leverage on the president, to hold the threat over the president's head, that if you do do this, if you do betray the Kurds, we'll allow the Democrats to advance the impeachment ball. After all, the president over the weekend had conversations with members of the House uh, telling them that he did not like the idea of impeachment. He didn't like it uh, because he didn't like that asterisk next to his name in the history books that this president was impeached, even if he's found not guilty by the Senate. He didn't like the idea, but he was sure it would help the Republicans in the House. He did add that. And uh, Mick Mulvaney believes it'll give the president a double-digit win uh, over the Democrats in November. We'll see. But what I can tell you is that Republicans in the Senate take their role in advising the president on foreign policy very seriously. Remember, a president cannot enact a treaty without a two-thirds vote of the U.S. Senate. They take their foreign policy oversight role much more seriously than the House of Representatives because of the Senate's treaty power. And they don't like that the president is doing this. It is the United States Senate, by the way, you should know, that really pushed the Bush, Obama, and Trump administrations to stand in solidarity with the Kurds. So this happening is going to cause problems for the president at the impeachment level. And there's already whispers of this in the U.S. Senate this morning, multiple media outlets suggesting that the president in so doing uh, is hurting himself with the Senate uh, when it comes to this. Now, now, no one is suggesting, no one is suggesting that the president's going to be convicted by the Senate. He's not going to get 
You're not going to get two-thirds of the Senate to convict the president, but you could get enough Republicans mad that they allow it to go further than it should. And that gets us to Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney was the first Republican to come out and say the president's uh, phone calls with China, not good. The thing that Mitt Romney needs to realize is that we haven't seen the transcripts. We don't actually know what's there. We don't know what was said. What he does know, though, is that the president stood on the lawn of the White House and said China should investigate Joe Biden. He's responded to that. The president spent the weekend blasting Mitt Romney. It was kind of a weird juxtaposition. Mitt Romney was tweeting pictures of him with his grandkids picking out pumpkins for Halloween, and the president was tweeting, calling Mitt Romney all sorts of names I'm not going to say on radio. Here's Ramesh Panuru on the Sunday shows talking about this. Absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the interesting things we saw a few months ago during the vote over the border wall emergency was that pretty much all of the Republicans in tight races in 2020 decided to stick with the president, calculating that even if he's unpopular in their states, he's popular enough with Republicans that they can't take the risk of losing their support. So why Susan Collins, Ben Sass, and Mitt Romney? Those are the only three senators who have come out with any kind of strong objections to what the president has done. I think for a couple reasons. Senator Romney was recently elected. He doesn't face the voters for a while. Um, The president has been less popular in Utah than Romney is himself, so he's strong there. Senator Collins in Maine, she's got a similar issue. She's earned some credit with Republican base voters for her defense of Justice Kavanaugh, and she understands that the state is not particularly pro-Trump. But you'll notice, as you said earlier, this is just a hand, less than a handful of people, <laughs> and Trump is trying to make an example of Romney mm-hmm. by attacking him on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure that's really going to do any damage to Romney, but it's not intended to so much as it's intended to scare other people away. Yes, it is intended to scare other people away. Here's, here's the thing. Mitt Romney doesn't care about the president's criticisms and the president doesn't care whether or not he criticizes Mitt Romney because they both understand that the citizens of Utah don't particularly care for the president. Mitt Romney is the senator from Utah, even though he was the governor of Massachusetts and he's from Michigan. Not that that ever did him good in the in the Republican presidential race, but Mitt Romney uh, is the senator from Utah. Utah is the most Republican uh, seat in the Electoral College. And Utah uh, gave the third-party candidate, uh, Evan McMullen, a greater share of the vote than Utah has ever given a third-party candidate in the presidential race. Mitt Romney understands uh, that if he went out tomorrow and voted for convicting the president impeachment, Utah would probably vote for him at a higher margin. Democrats in Utah would vote for Mitt Romney. He is perfectly safe, and that's why he can do what he did. The president also understands that attacking Mitt Romney gets him nothing and won't persuade Mitt Romney to change his mind. But what it might do is keep a guy like Ben Sass, who is up for re-election this year in Nebraska and isn't a big fan of the president, although they're supporting each other right now, might actually keep him on board. Sass has made several rumblings that he's unhappy with the president. Same with Susan Collins, although, frankly, it would probably help Susan Collins in Maine to come out against the president. So... The president bashes Mitt Romney, not to dissuade Romney, but as Ramesh Bernuru said, to keep other Republicans in line. And that will work. In most places, it'll work because most of the president's supporters are going to stay the president's supporters. But there are Senate seats where the president does have to worry 
if the Republicans think it begins to put them in jeopardy. Keep this in mind. This is the thing you need to understand about impeachment more than anything else. As long as the Senate is not at stake, the Republicans are okay. The moment polling suggests the Republicans could lose the Senate because of the president's behavior is the moment Mitt Romney, or not Mitt Romney, Mitch McConnell turned the Senate against the president. Mitch McConnell wants to keep the Senate majority. He views that as the only way to block the Democrats. The dirty little secret in Washington right now is that a lot of the establishment Republicans really don't think the president can win in 2020. And they look back on 2016, they see it as a fluke because they saw that Hillary Clinton was such a terribly deep flawed candidate. They saw the James Comey FBI letter, how it shifted polling against her towards the end. The president only won with 70,000 votes in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Those voters decided to go for the Democrats overwhelmingly in 2018. These establishment Republicans thinks, think the odds are against the president in 2020, but that they can keep the Senate and they can block Democrat judicial nominees. If that calculus begins to change, the Republicans in the Senate begin to change. Remember, the Republicans in the Senate don't care about the president. They care about their own power and reelection. And if the president jeopardizes that, they will jeopardize the president. It is 56 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson, and I want to tell you the Supreme Court has reconvened in Washington, D.C. to let five of our black-robed masters decide whether or not you can enjoy your freedoms as you interpret the Constitution or whether the morality of Harvard Yard must be what decides for you your freedoms. Um, I really do hate the Supreme Court. Um, the the idea that uh, five black-robed Ivy Leaguers should tell us uh, that their morality should govern over everyone else. I, I got a real problem with that. But nonetheless, uh, that's uh, our situation right now. You know, the, the UK now has their Supreme Court. Their Supreme Court starting to uh, strut their stuff and, and override the will of Parliament, which has never been done before. And the British aren't really sure what to do with it. Well, here today at hearings, Clarence Thomas, for the first day of oral arguments, was not there. Clarence Thomas was sick. He was out. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, however, was there. Liberals are really cheering today, thinking, yay! That means that Clarence Thomas is not long for the world. He really is sickening today to see some of the responses out there. They do have some big cases on tap uh, this year in the Supreme Court. Uh, there is an abortion case in Louisiana where my suspicion is that the conservatives on the court will allow Louisiana uh, to go forward with its law. Essentially, Louisiana argues that abortion is a medical procedure. And uh, that a medical procedure should therefore have to comply with safety and sanitation regulations for all uh, outpatient medical providers. And somehow or another, the left has convinced themselves that abortion is a sacrosanct issue and uh, no amount of regulation can be applied to it because it's a fundamental right. Well, you know, even gun stores have to comply with certain federal regulations, and they're actually in the Second Amendment of the Constitution, unlike abortion, which is nowhere in the Constitution. So they'll have that. There will be a gun issue at stake as well. This is very interesting, largely because in the last couple of years, the Supreme Court, after the Heller case, refused to take any gun decisions. And it was largely because both sides weren't sure what uh, Anthony Kennedy would do. And now they're willing to pick these up, suggest the conservatives want to lock in some gains on the guns issue. And then there's some other controversial issues. Uh, we will get the play-by-play -play throughout the year as these cases roll out. And I will be back with you with the latest on impeachment in Georgia news tomorrow right here on this station.